God's chesed, his steadfast love toward his own is never failing. It is relentless. It pursues us every day of our lives, and it is everlasting. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever considered the sheer number of different ways that God has displayed His love for you as a believer? Do you see His providential hand all over your life? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing his current series with part 18 of Ruth. The book of Ruth reveals the remarkable length that God is willing to go to accomplish His plans. Think about it. He used a famine, the sin of Elimelech, the death of husbands, Naomi's restoration, the great heart of Boaz, seemingly obscure laws about Leveret's marriage, and a legal business transaction at the city gate, all to accomplish His great purpose. God's steadfast love toward His own is never failing. It is relentless, and He pursues you as much as He does Ruth. Do you believe that today? Keep that in mind as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. The author adds, this was the manner of attestation in Israel. It was a legal witness to the deal. Now, having explained this practice... The author goes on in verse 8 to tell us that this is exactly what happened. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. And while it doesn't say, obviously he gave it to Boaz. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Boaz summarized the legal agreement that had been reached. He had acquired all of the rights and all of the responsibilities that went with the redemption of Elimelech's estate. And Boaz told the ten elders that he'd officially assembled, as well as the the crowd, the people that had stopped at the gate to watch this transaction, that they were all witnesses of the agreement. Now, both of these things were important. Think about this. In a a simple agricultural society like that, if in the future anyone questioned his ownership of the estate of Naomi's late husband or his legal right to marry Ruth, he had two lines of evidence he could present. The sandal of this anonymous relative and any surviving witnesses, any of the ten who had survived to that day. But it becomes clear that Boaz's chief concern was not the land. It was Ruth. Look at verse 10. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife. Boaz expressed his legal right to marry Ruth. It's also interesting here, for the first time in this book, we learn which of Elimelech's sons Ruth had married. It was Malon. But the most important thing about verse 10 is not that Boaz intends to marry Ruth, but why. Look at what he says in verse 10. In order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, 
so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You know, here is a man of incredible nobility and excellence. Even in this, his chief concern is not gaining a wife, although it becomes clear that that he is committed to Ruth, that he cares deeply for her. I think safe to even say he loves her, although the, the text doesn't say that. But he is concerned to act in a way for others. Notice his motives, three of them. First of all, he says in verse 10, to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. By the way, let me go back and just say, before I touch on that point, on the previous point I was making, so many people pursue marriage for all the wrong and selfish reasons imaginable. It it troubles me deeply occasionally, two occasions, I think, and I can't stomach more than that. I've watched a little of, of a program with my girls where women are buying their wedding dresses, and they're talking about getting married, and they talk about it in the most utterly selfish terms. I'm marrying him because he makes me feel good about myself, and so forth and so forth. Those of us in Christ, those of us who know God, we ought to still be marrying, not only for the, for the joy of marriage, not only for the, the, the wonderful relationship that brings, but as well for the good of the other person. Well, back to my notes. Notice specifically, Boaz mentions three motives here as to why he's going to marry her. He's very unselfish in this. The first one, to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. That is, to establish his memory by ensuring that he had descendants and that his inheritance continued to be connected to his descendants. Secondly, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers. In other words, to ensure that his memory and family would not be lost to Israel will not be lost in the nation. And thirdly, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from the court of his birthplace. Literally, from the gate of his place. The gate here represents those who met at the gate. In other words, Boaz wanted to guarantee that Elimelech and Malon would continue to have family and representation on the town council of the, the town in which they had lived. He concludes his speech, notice, by reminding the people there, again, of their legal role as witnesses. Verse 10 ends, you are witnesses today. Verse 11, and all the people who were in the court and the elders said, notice, we are is in italics. It's not in the original. They simply said, witnesses. Yes, it's true, witnesses. That brings us to another part of this redemption of Ruth her Redeemer, and that is the people's benediction. In response to all that had happened in the court proceeding, the people and and the ten elders break out in a benediction. In a benediction, first of all, on Ruth. Notice verse 11. May Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. Now, the reason that expression, the woman who is coming into your home, that sounds a little cold to us, but that borrows from the Jewish wedding ceremony. 
In a Jewish wedding, the groom brought the bride to his home as part of the wedding ceremony. And so they were saying, May Yahweh bless Ruth, the woman you're marrying, as he blessed Rachel and Leah. You remember, of course, the story of Rachel and Leah. They were daughters of Laban, whom Jacob married. Together, these two women were responsible for, really, the twelve tribes of Israel. This is a remarkable blessing. I mean, think about it. Here are Jewish women who have known this Moabite woman for just a couple of months, and yet they ask their God to bless her, a foreigner from Moab, just like he blessed the matriarchs of Israel, Rachel and Leah. shows what a profound impact her character has had on them. Notice the people also pronounced a benediction on Boaz. Verse 11 goes on, And may you, Boaz, achieve wealth in Ephrathah, and become famous in Bethlehem. Ephrathah was just that larger area. It was, a, it was a more formal, ancient name for this area. Now, the Hebrew expression translated achieve wealth, in the context of marriage, like it is here, is better translated, may you prosper. May you prosper. And then they say, may you become famous in Bethlehem. Literally, the Hebrew text says, may your name be called in Bethlehem. It's a a beautiful picture. What they mean is this. After your death, may your name still be spoken in Bethlehem. May your name survive your death and continue to be spoken long after you have died. You know what's interesting? Those people had no idea how profoundly God would answer their blessing that day. Now, the rest of their benediction was on the descendants of Ruth and Boaz. Verse 12, Moreover, may your house... That's a a Hebrew idiom for your descendants, those who come after you. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, as you know, the story, if you're familiar with the Scripture at all, the story of Perez and Tamar is a sordid one. But that's not the point here. The point of similarity they're pointing out between Ruth and Tamar has nothing to do with the character of these two women, nor does it have to do with a similarity of the nature of their marriages, nor is there a similarity in the manner in which they conceived. You remember Tamar's child was the product of incest. The point that they had in common, the point of connection between Tamar and Ruth was that they were both in a leveret marriage. Although Tamar's husband had died without leaving an heir, through the child born to Judah and Tamar, his name was Perez, Judah's name lived on in Israel. Their prayer was the same for Ruth and Boaz. They were praying that Yahweh would bless Ruth and Boaz, not with just one child, but with many descendants, that God would allow the memory of Ruth and Boaz to survive because of their many descendants. God answered their prayer in an amazing way, not just in the number of their descendants, but in the singularity, the accomplishment, the renown of their descendants. 
Daniel Block puts it this way. Little did those who uttered these words realize how prophetic the words would be. Inspired by the Spirit of God, they joined in a spontaneous and unanimous pronouncement of blessing upon Boaz. They had come to witness, but they left prophesying. Had they been around long enough to see the fulfillment of their prayer, they would have observed the establishment of a name and a house far greater than Perez, the house of King David, a name commemorated to this day in the flag of the state of Israel. May God raise up a house for you. Wow, did God answer that prayer. Now, every well-told story like this one has a hero or a heroine. And the biblical account of Ruth is no exception to that. But the hero of this story is not whom most people think it is. Ruth is clearly not the hero. In verse 6 of chapter 4, she is redeemed by Boaz. Nor is Naomi the hero. Later in chapter 4, as we'll see next time in verses 13 and 14, she will be redeemed by the son who Ruth bears. Whom Ruth bears. And Boaz is not the hero, since he too was eventually redeemed by one of his descendants, a very special child born to a young woman from Nazareth named Mary. Instead, as we have seen countless times in this ancient drama, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the real hero of the story. As we have watched the story unfold, we have discovered that, are you ready for this? The real kinsman redeemer is not Boaz. It's God. It's Yahweh. In a much more profound way than was true of Boaz with Ruth, God is driven by his hesed, that wonderful Hebrew word that means his steadfast commitment to his covenant, his love, his steadfast, unfailing covenantal love to care for his own. For those of us who have sought refuge under Yahweh's wings, for those of us who have become related to him by adoption, Yahweh will stop at nothing to care for us and to ensure that his eternal purposes for us are fulfilled. If you doubt that, just look at how he moved heaven and earth to care for his people in this story. Think for a moment about how he cared for Boaz. He provided a wife for him. He provided a son. He provided, as that Hebrew idiom puts it, a house, a, a, a group of descendants, and not just nameless, faceless descendants, but the greatest people to ever come from the nation, David and later the Christ. He has certainly made Boaz's name survive. Here we are 3,000 years later on the far side of the world recounting Boaz. God certainly demonstrated his hesed, his steadfast love to Boaz. But what about Ruth? Look at how God cared for Ruth. Here was a woman who was born as a pagan, a pagan Gentile in a pagan land, 
worshiping pagan gods with no hope of knowing the true God. And yet, in eternity past, God had chosen her as his own. And so, he works his providence to ensure that she will hear about him, the true God. He even uses the sin of one of his own people, Elimelech, who sinfully moves his family to Moab in order to ensure that she hears about the true God. He reaches into Moab and he snatches her out of her darkness, out of her idolatry, out of her lostness, out of her paganism, and he draws her to himself. There are many of you sitting here tonight who resemble very much that story. And once she had repented, and once Ruth had sought refuge in him, behind the scenes, God, her Redeemer, her kinsman Redeemer, her Goel, ordered his providence to care for her. He moved heaven and earth to make sure that his plans for her life unfolded. It was God who made sure that day that, as the Hebrew says, her chance chanced upon the field belonging to Boaz. It was God who made sure that she happened to take a break from her hard morning's work in the tent there by the field at the very time that Boaz arrived and they had a chance encounter. But it was no chance. It was designed by the hand of her Goel. And he used whatever it took, God did, to accomplish his plans in her life. Think of all he uses in the story. He used a famine. He used the sin of Elimelech. He used the death of her husband. He used the return of her mother-in-law to the land of Israel. He used all of that. And then he used the great heart of Boaz. He used an obscure law about leveret marriage. He used the radical plans of Naomi. And he even used a legal business transaction at the city gate. The point is, that God's chesed, His steadfast love toward His own, is never failing. It is relentless. It pursues us every day of our lives, and it is everlasting. It's so clear in the story of Ruth. It's so clear, and we rejoice in it. And, and yet, let me ask you a question. Why do we doubt that reality in our own lives. Why do we doubt that God, our Redeemer, is any less concerned, is any less engaged, is any less committed to us than he was to Boaz and Ruth? God is our Redeemer. He is our Goel, and He will stop at nothing to care for us and to fulfill both His temporal and his eternal plans for us. I don't know where you find yourself tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you confess Yahweh, as we were talking about this morning. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know how difficult, how hard, how challenging they look. But I plead with you tonight to to trust your Redeemer, to trust the one 
who has your best in mind and who will stop at nothing. He will move heaven and earth to do what he wants to do in your life, and it will always be best, however it may look to us. God has a plan, and he is working that plan out every bit as much in your life and mine as he did in the life of Ruth and Boaz. He could give us no greater proof of this than he's given us. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I was meditating my way through this chapter this week, not for any sermon preparation, just to feed my own soul. And I was just struck again and again with how much God says here about his connection to us. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says there's no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say we have the Spirit of God within us. Verse 9, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He goes on to say in verse 14 that we are being led by the Spirit of God. And he says we are the children of God. And we have received a spirit of adoption in which we can actually say to the Almighty God, to Yahweh, the self-existent one, Abba, Papa. Father, we are, verse 17, heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We will be glorified with Christ, verse 17 says. He goes on to rehearse that someday, verse 23, we will experience the finalizing of our adoption as sons, which will be the redemption of our body. We're going to get a new body like his glorious body, like the the resurrected body of our Lord. Verse 26, the Spirit helps our weakness as he intercedes for us. Verse 27, God is causing all things in our lives to work together for good because we love him and because we've been called according to his purpose. He foreknew us in eternity past. He's predestined us to become conformed to the image of his Son. He's called us to himself. He's justified us. He's going to glorify us. Verse 31. So what do we say to all this? God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And here it is, verse 32. Here's the proof. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Think about that. He delivered the son of his love for you. That means he loved you every bit as much as he loved his own son. How will he not also, with his own son, freely give us all things? Everything you need for life and eternity. Would he give you Christ? Would he give you the most precious thing he has? And not look out for your concerns, not cause all things to work together for good, not order and structure your lives for your your benefit, for your ultimate good. We have a Redeemer. And He is committed to, to us forever with His chesed, His steadfast love. And He will move heaven and earth to make sure His purposes 
are done in our lives. How do you conclude? Verse 38, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor something that's present, nor what's coming, doesn't matter, powers, height, depth, whatever you want to talk about, he says, any created thing anywhere in the universe, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our lives are every bit as much in his loving care as were the lives of Boaz and Ruth because he is our Redeemer. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 18 of Ruth. Join us next time for part 19 as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. You know, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's all at thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.